Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. What are we going to be talking about today on today's Keep It Brief? We are talking about the Ukraine and Russia conflict. Now, I know we just had our esteemed professor, Dr. Kubitschek, on here talking about it. But, you know, it's been such a hot topic. And I'd say a lot of things have happened since we had the talk a few weeks ago. So I thought we'd give you all an update as to how the situation is progressing, because it is it's it's pretty intense. All eyes are on Ukraine and Russia right now. We said, let's wait and see. We waited, we saw, and now we are giving you all the update of what happened in the last 30 days. Because there's a fair bit that happened, actually, which is kind of crazy to think about. But as you all know, if you don't live under a rock, if you have seen any news source lately, even if you've just not been looking at any news source and only looking on TikTok, I see it all over my feed. People are messaging Vladdy Daddy on Instagram. You did. Vladdy, yes. I have not seen that. I've just seen oh the TikToks making fun of it. I'll Vladdy have to Daddy? send them to you. Yeah, no, they're like messaging him. They're saying Vladdy Daddy. <laughs> they're kind of being like the pick me's of like, Vladdy Daddy, this isn't you. Please don't look at my eyes. This isn't you. That. This isn't who you are. I'm like, oh my God. Leave it to Gen Z. <laughs> I freaking love yeah, that. Yeah, so Gen Z did find Vladimir Putin's Instagram and they have been absolutely infiltrating the DMs. Vladdy Daddy, hard eye emoji. No, they do. They left like a heart eye emoji. They did like the little kissy face. They did like the little, like the little woo eyes. Like it was, yeah, it's, it's been a mess. Valentine's Day coming up has these, has these Gen Z years acting out of, out of pocket. Bro, out of pocket. They're all like, please don't. It's going to mess up my day. Like y'all got to be joking me right now. That's amazing. I was so excited for all the things we're talking about, but I think you you just nailed it. That's the best thing. Uh, <laughs> we there haven't we go. So that's, started. That's from the updates. Um, the Vladdy Daddy trend on Ukraine, all right, on TikTok has taken off. That is one of the updates for the last 30 days. The yeah. last 20 days. <laughs> the last 20 days. Because we have Professor yeah. Kubitschek on like around like the 10th. Like, yeah, like this Yeah, it's literally been like 20 days. days. Mm-hmm. Okay, so never mind. Not even 30 days. This has been less than three weeks. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, like Hunter said, if you haven't been living under a rock, um, you might have heard a little something about Ukraine and Russia. Just a brief little background, because we did cover this issue extensively, a huge background with a subject matter expert, Paul Kubczyk. So go and listen to this before you listen to this update, because this is an update. This isn't a separate episode. It's an update to it. So yeah, if you want to understand the conflict, go for that part. (laughs) But anyways, just a little, you know, brief update to refresh all of our memories, Ukrainian crisis uh, started in 2013 with President Yanukovych rejecting a deal to economically integrate Ukraine to the EU, and this soon led to the international conflict we know today when Russia illegally annexed Ukraine's Crimea region in 2014. And since then, the U.S., European Union, and NATO have been in a deteriorating stalemate with Russia slowly building troops and other military resources on Ukrainian borders. So that's just a little bit where we are. You know, um, I was one of the sources we used for this week's episode was the conflict tracker. And I thought it was really interesting the way that they had put at the top. They're like, this is just a territorial dispute, but we it's significantly important to the United States. And it's just worsening day by day. Every day gets worse. Yep. If you look at the conflict tracker, you're like, "Eh, not looking too hot over here. (laughs) Yeah. 
So Hunter, last time we did the episode, we left off with the US and Russia were about to meet in Geneva, literally the day that our podcast episode came out. Mm-hmm. They were meeting in Geneva to kick off a week of talks on Ukraine starting um, again that day, January 10th. So yes. what happened in these talks? What was, what did we learn? So girl, not much. Um, US and Russian diplomats both there, there were no major breakthroughs as both sides were kind of anticipating going into these meetings, but they did agree to continue talking, which is basically, it's basically diplomat speak for, okay, cool, nothing got done. Nothing's probably gonna get done in the near future, but we'll just say that we're gonna keep on talking and be very diplomatic about it. So long story short, nothing happened at these talks. Yep, we basically got the same run by run. The Russian representative to United Nations uh, and Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov again denied that the large Russian force on Ukrainian's borders, 100,000 strong, I might add, would not be used to invade. Um, and then, you know, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken was like, okay, well, if you invade, we're going to get you. Like, we will respond severely to any invasion. And the US and its allies have threatened new sanctions um, if the military if the Russian military does take action. And the US Secretary of State Blinken also urged Russia to stop the quote unquote aggression towards Ukraine and confirmed that the US would continue security assistance to Ukraine in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. But then we have Russia coming right back and just accusing NATO of working against Russia and repeating that Moscow had never threatened the Ukrainian people, which I mean, what let's talk about Crimea, but also Russia sees Crimea as part of Russia. So I mean, I guess in their own words, that I guess I guess accurate to you know Russia, but not accurate to like the rest of the world who's allied with Ukraine. Um, but yeah, they said they'd never threaten the Ukrainian people. They had no plans to attack Ukraine. And then he also cr- accused the Ukrainian government of using state terrorism against the rebels in the east and sabotaging the Minsk peace agreements on the conflict there. Yeah, which, I mean, that gets into a whole plethora of other issues, but just kind of just like an odd odd place to pivot, but we're pivoting because why would we want to keep on focusing on Russia's actions near the border? I'm just surprised they continued to agree to talk after that. Like, that sounds, they're like, oh, yeah, like, we didn't really talk much. I'm like, that sounds like a lot to me, but. It, it sounds like a lot, but then at the end of the day, it's like, hmm. Mm, did we really get anything done from it? Like, you know, those model UN days that we'd always have of where it's like, yeah, like we talked, but like literally nothing got done. <laughs> yeah, Russia's sections. literally like another day being a superpower. What can you say? Yeah, just like, eh, we'll do it again. <laughs> All right, well, that, so that happened on January 10th. And then just two days later on January 12th, following the Geneva talks with Russia and the US, Delegates from NATO countries and Russia met in Brussels over Russia's military buildup near the Ukrainian border. Mm-hmm. So, so, Erica, what would you say that the new security architecture is for European safety and how, how is that going? So the new security architecture that Russia is advocating for, which is like kind of what dominated these talks, was that Russian leadership is demanding illegally binding like security guarantees from the United States and NATO in two draft treaties. And let me tell you, Hunter, when I was reading through these, I was like, you know what? This is this is kind of wild. I'm not surprised from Russia, but I'm just, I don't know. It's a little bold. You're so like, let me get hmm, into it. We've got some <laughs> yeah. big, we have some big asks in here and we don't really know if these are, we, we don't think that these are deliverable at this point. 
Yeah, so their key demands include a commitment to refrain from undertaking any further Eastern enlargements of NATO, particularly with regard to Ukraine or other states within the region such as Georgia. So this would, you know, in this would require withdrawing the prospective membership offered at NATO's Bucharest summit to Ukraine in 2008. Mm-hmm. And then the they also want the alliance to guarantee not to deploy any weaponry or military forces on the border of Russia. Which is kind of all- like very double standardy. Like, oh, okay, so we're gonna put a ton of troops right on the border, but like, if you do the same, not cool, my guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like, excuse me. Excuse me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Putin is just like, well, that's just like us being us. Like, that's you shouldn't copy us. Yeah. You know? Like, just I mean, I can do it, but it's not cool when you do it. It's like the like a very like Regina George moment of where it's like, well, you can't wear gold hoops because I want to wear gold hoops. And then now what is Gretchen Wieners to do? Russia's it's trying gi- to be Regina George. <laughs> it's giving me very like lock and key analogy used by yes. guys like, oh well, uh oh yeah, like all like the many. nasty like male <laughs> podcasters. Oh my god, yeah. yeah just a key that opens many locks is a master key but a lock that's opened by many keys is useless like that's the vibes i'm getting yeah like ick <laughs> that, that's just a major ick so thank Vladdy you Vladdy daddy, daddy is alpha ma- yeah Vladdy daddy is actually teaching the new course of alpha males due to this military strategy imagine explaining that to like the guys who wrote the constitution <laughs> Thomas Jefferson would be screaming, but not be understanding. No, yeah. it was, wasn't it James Madison? That, yes, James Madison. Yeah. James Madison yeah. would be screaming. They all would be screaming. They'd be like, what yeah. is going on? This is not, the forefathers are like, this is not what we intended when we said free speech. They're like, no, <laughs> shut up. Oh, wait, Hunter, it gets crazier, though, from Russia's demands. Like, that's, okay. I don't even, like, I think it gets worse. So, Go but, for okay, it. so... <laughs> So then also they said that NATO should end its military cooperation with post-Soviet states and scale back military forces back to the 1997 level. And then, Hmm. so that would mean like they can no longer deploy more like military forces because like later on in this like timeline, there's going to be a little bit of us talking about how they add more, but they want them to no longer deploy the forces or weaponry and um, basically like remove them from NATO countries that weren't members back in the alliance of 1997. So they're like, rewind, take it back. They're like, Time okay, travel so back. all the progress you made over the last 24 years, undo it. Yep. That's what we want from you, undo it. And then Moscow is also demanding that NATO withdraw its multinational battle groups from Poland and the Baltic states and demanding that the United States should pull its nuclear weapons out of Europe, which like a if little bit of listen to our nuclear. Yeah, if y'all listen to our nuclear weapons episode, you'll know that there is the U.S. nuclear umbrella all across Europe. And <laughs> okay, so nuclear sharing—they don't want that either. You know, it's yeah. like understandable. It's kind of a threat, but it, it's a threat because you're acting menacingly. I mean, okay, but like, like Russia should know that's unreasonable. Like they should know that literally. Why oh, would well, the US that's comply the with that. They absolutely know. I mean, the, like what I'm getting from this is that this these requests are so unreasonable, and the reason that it, they are so unreasonable is because Russia they're not planning on having any of these things met. They think, hey, well, if we go and we come to the table with this, we can at least say that we tried to do something, but ultimately the U.S. just wouldn't budge. They're just being 
super horrible and it's like okay like clearly you can all see that these are ridiculous asks but i think the last one is the one that only one that makes sense and the only reasonable one to to an extent because i know they probably have a double meaning but they said finally cease meddling in russia's internal affairs which like interesting okay, because see? there's been how much russian meddling in u.s internal literally affairs. and also it's like okay well we didn't meddle in your affairs and you took over crimea so you know we kind of like, have to at that point i mean nobody really yeah nobody said anything when you were out here just snatching up annexing crimea so i, I mean like people said things but it, nothing was yeah. done ultimately so but all right they, go off <laughs> I know they didn't actually like do anything about it. They're just like, hey, this isn't okay. Yeah. But where was the follow through? Where was the actions? They just it, said it, it. Not with their chest. Non-existent. Non-existent. <laughs> Lavrov also said that Moscow takes a critical view of any NATO accession by Finland and Sweden, but he didn't necessarily put that in his demands. So okay. that one, I guess I don't feel strongly on, but <laughs> those those demands are pretty crazy. Okay. What did uh, NATO have to say about that, Hunter? So NATO, you know, take a wild guess. NATO, the <laughs> chief advisor repeated that Ukraine had a right to decide its future security arrangements and that Russia had no right to veto NATO admitting new members. Russia's not in NATO. <laughs> it has no deciding power. It's like, I don't know. It's like trying to tell like the neighborhood next to you of like, this is how you're going to run like your HOA. Like <laughs> literally, you don't, you don't even live there. So you can't know. Um, like, thank you for the input, but no thank you. So NATO also voiced its serious concern over Moscow's buildup of nearly 100,000 troops in Russian-occupied Crimea, uh, Crimean Peninsula. And then there were full meetings of the NATO-Russia Council were suspended after Russia annexed Crimea, but this is the second time that they've had a meeting since the suspension, and the first time being in July 2019. Yeah, and it didn't go well, obviously. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> no it did not go well. <laughs> so we're also seeing that Stoltenberg did not agree to Russia's demands, but did want to continue diplomacy through a series of meetings with Moscow on a variety of strategic issues and then stated, quote, Russia was not in a position to agree on that proposal. They didn't reject it either, but the Russian representatives made it clear that they needed some time to come back to NATO with an answer. End quote. And just to interject, sorry, the Stoltenberg is the NATO chief advisor. But yeah, so here we are. We have the chief advisor saying, yeah, they said no, but they'd come back to us later. And it's like, all right, you're buying yourself more time, but that's okay. We see you. We understand you. We don't love that, but it, it's clear what you're doing. I mean, Russia's having just a bit of a crisis. I can see, like, I mean, when I think they didn't even agree to having the talks, like, mm -hmm. first of all, there's all this disagreement. And then they're like, well, let's keep talking. Russia's like, not in my bandwidth. Let's circle back. Let's table this, like giving the full corporate world <clears throat> feel to NATO. And I mean, like NATO is just trying so hard. They're like, let me just find, there they're was like, no rejection. You can, they're like, if you can just like, you know, give us any answer on anything, that'd be lovely. But, <laughs> But then we also had like the U.S. ambassador and then the Russian representative. So, Erica, do you want to go into what they said? Yes. So the next day, the very next day, very next January 13th, 
The Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the OSCE, met with Russia in Vienna. And let me just tell you, Hunter, this is straight up out of a Model UN conference. Like <laughs> anyone who tries to tell me that UN is not Model UN is not real, they need to watch, listen to this conversation because this is exactly the stuff that I would see there. And it's like, oh, and maybe it's too dramatic. Nope. Nope. Ukraine, Russia, and US are doing it out here for free for us. Uh, so U.S. ambassadors. So basically they're having these talks, the OSCE, you know, same thing. I'm not going to reiterate it again, but it's literally the same thing we're talking about with Russia having these crazy demands. U.S. and NATO are like, you're crazy. Absolutely no. Mm -hmm. um, so we're doing this dance back and forth. So then U.S. ambassador Michael Carpenter stated, as we prepare, like, and this is a direct quote, direct quote for him. As we prepare for an open dialogue on how to strengthen security benefit of all, we must decisively reject blackmail and never allow aggression and threats to be rewarded. I definitely feel like I've heard a rep <laughs> say that. Like there has to be a Dell say that. <laughs> and then Russia's representative, Alexander Lukashevich, told the OSCE that his country would take action if its concerns were not taken seriously, stating, again, direct quote, if we don't hear a constructive response to our proposals within a reasonable time frame and an aggressive line of behavior towards Russia continues, we will be forced to draw appropriate conclusions and take all necessary measures to ensure strategic balance and eliminate unacceptable threats to our national security. <laughs> and then he also added, quote, Russia is a peace-loving country, but we do not need peace at any cost. The need to obtain these legally formalized security guarantees for us is unconditional. So fun fact, I did just, you know, I did just participate in a exercise put on by the Army War College. And this is, I, I feel like I'm still there. These are kind of like, this is like the same thing that would be said there or at a Model UN conference from one of the Dells there. Like for those of y'all that think the Model UN is just fake political dumb LARPing, no, it, it, goes exactly like this. So we're seeing these same responses that you could see from somebody that's also, you know, 20 years old in a suit pretending to be a whole different country at a conference. So when Erica's, art imitates life. <laughs> yes, Erica is absolutely correct. So like it's from a model UN conference. And I was so, reading this and laughing so hard. I was like, this is so spicy. Yeah. So it's like that happened on the 13th. And then we're going to move to the 14th where Russia Russia starts to do its own little thing again. So here we are. We have the foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. He expects a written response to its demands and security guarantees within a week, within a week after the diplomatic talks with NATO and the US. Like Erica, have you ever heard of like, I need these, I need this within a week coming from like a world superpower? Well, it's just like, I, they said literally no in the meetings. Like, I don't know, did he think that if they wrote it, the answer was going to be yes? Yeah, <laughs> like, like, they're going to be like, no, with the heart now. Like, they're, <laughs> they're going to drop the heart yeah. after. So it's like... Care, but make it electric. Yeah. emojis. Yeah, so then it's like the White House was stating that the threat of Russian invasion of Ukraine remains high and announced that it had intelligence suggesting that Russia had sent saboteurs into eastern Ukraine to stage an incident that could be used as a pretext to justify an investigation in the event its demands in negotiation are not met. If its demands in negotiation are not met. Yeah, I mean, that, I never would have thought of that. Actually, probably had I put some serious thinking into it, 
I would have, but like, that sounds like evil. Like, oh, we want to start a war. So let me put secret spies into, I mean, this is all alleged because obviously it's based off intelligence and cannot be corroborated, corroborated by Russia. Mm -hmm. Russia would never tell us anything about that, but I just like would never think that that's how, but like, think how many words do you think have started because of literally what this intelligence allegedly is saying? Well, I mean, we saw it in 2003 with the U.S. invasion of Iraq. Like we, we clearly see that intelligence is not <laughs> always accurate. And sometimes people make it up to be something that's not, if you're really politicizing it, like it was in 2003. So yeah, there's definitely been mistakes made with some intelligence which i mean that was also just oh well we found something in the desert that suggested that iraq was doing it wasn't but you know um, another another episode but yeah like well then uh sorry i just i can't get over the fact that this just happened in four days like this is (laughs) this was all in four days worry not hunter they they did take a little weekend break and then they resumed so they took a little four day five day weekend Everybody needs to go home, relax, put a face mask on, and we'll just get back to it next week, y'all. Take the rest of the week off. You deserve it. You did a lot. Like, how do you relax that weekend? You don't. Like, so aggressive. And then they're like, huh, just kidding. We'll resume. Uh, They didn't start again until January 19th. But just imagine the, like, tension Mm -hmm. between those. Like, they're running around trying to figure out what to do. (laughs) Chaos. Well, so we're right back at it, January 19th, after a little quick refresher. <laughs> the senior U.S. official confirmed that the United States had authorized an additional $200 million in security aid to Ukraine on top of the $450 million already given by the Biden administration. Um, so this is just, you know, a little not as crazy as the talks we've been having, but it will be important later on. But Lavrov then stated that there would be no further negotiations with the West until they respond in writing, again, in writing, stress, stressing it. They're like, to please demands. Mail it to me. <laughs> I want that as a certified letter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What is it by uh, what carrier pigeon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, carrier want that. Pigeon. I want that by carrier pigeon. I want it to be certified. Please make sure this gets to me on time. Pony Express. Um. But yeah, they don't want, they will not negotiate or talk anymore until they get a response to their demands for the sweeping security guarantees. Chaos. So then Hunter, what happens next? So what happens next? Anybody's guess at this point, but (laughs) Biden had promised sanctions um, that have never been seen before if Russia moves in on Ukraine. So Biden referenced the NATO-Russia summit and the OSCE meeting to reiterate that NATO is on the same page with the sanctions package should Russia invade Ukraine. He also stated that Russia will be held accountable if it invades, but depending on what Russia does will affect the U.S. response. So he said, but if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the forces amassed on the border, it's going to be a disaster for Russia if they further invade Ukraine and that our allies and partners are ready to impose severe costs and significant harm on Russia and the Russian economy. And so one of the things that's going on here is Biden was talking about taking Russia out of SWIFT, which essentially that's how you can change money into US dollars. And the thing is, without that, nobody wants Russian rubles in the world economy. So that means that Russia can't trade, they can't do anything really, and that will absolutely cripple the Russian economy which, you know, it's already not doing the hottest. So then to take Russia out of SWIFT, 
yeah, Russia would be severely, severely restricted in what it's able to do in the world. And then it would just come almost like toppling in on itself on a depression that's like never been seen. So it would be absolutely insane to see that. So with that, Biden also stated that the U.S. will fortify NATO allies and that the U.S. has already shipped over $600 million worth of sophisticated defensive equipment to the Ukrainians. And then he reiterated, once again, the ball is in Putin's court. I think that was a pretty bold statement of him, like to say in a press conference to be like, we're going to impose severe and significant harm on Russia and the Russian economy. Mm -hmm. Like that was a little cheeky, Biden. Well, I mean, it's kind of like we already like we talked about in the episode with Professor Kubitschek, Russia or not Russia, the U.S. and Biden in general, like the Biden administration cannot handle another giant foreign policy gap. Uh, They can't handle that. They already had to suffer through the Afghanistan situation. He's not looking extremely credible in terms of standing up to foreign threats. So he really has to make sure that he gets this one right. Otherwise, we're definitely going to see the Biden administration take a hit from this. So that's why he's going at this so hard, because if anything does happen, it's going to be horrible for the Biden administration. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're really gearing up, like anticipating a war. Mm -hmm. So like a couple of days later, they took, you know, a couple couple refresh days again. Mm-hmm. But uh, NATO put forces on standby as the European officials hold crisis talks and foreign ministers from the European Union's 27 member states met in Brussels in a bid to hammer out a response for like an invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And the European Union pledged to support Ukraine in key area, key areas, including countering cyber attacks and hybrid threats, because Ukraine's been like facing like a huge slew of cyber attacks against them. And like it's taken down government websites and just when they're already in such a fragile state. Mm-hmm. And then the meeting comes as the United States and other Western countries urge the families of their diplomats to leave Ukraine, which I think is a pretty significant thing. Like they're really looking at this possible invasion as an actual reality. Like if you're urging people to leave Ukraine, like situation's gotta be dire. Mm-hmm. And then the European Union Commission head von der Leyen pledges a 1.3 billion aid package for Ukraine, which of course Ukraine was gracious about. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, Thank you so much. We love that. (laughs) Yeah. But the United States isn't the only one withdrawing some embassy staff from Kiev. The -hmm. Britain has started withdrawing staff from its embassy in Ukraine. And the U.S. has ordered, again, the relatives of the embassy staff to leave, but not like the actual embassy staff uh, saying that the invasion could come at like any time. The EU staff, though, will stay in Ukraine for now. But the because the EU foreign policy chief, Joseph Burrell, said he didn't want to dramatize the tensions, which is definitely like, definitely dramatizing it they're already a little bit dramatized at this point it's like so. is it like a necessary call though like i mean i kind of feel like it's needed like yeah i mean it definitely says something once you start pulling out diplomats from these regions it's a really big thing to say in terms of just how you're treating that other country so if you start pulling all your officials out then that's saying okay we've almost given up on any like peaceful resolution to it. We have a very strong indication that there's going to be a conflict here. So it's kind of like, okay, well, we're going to leave them there just so it doesn't look like we're being even, even more militaristic than we're trying to appear. So I get why they're doing it, but it's always a dicey game on that front. That's for sure. 
Yeah, and it didn't stop there because on January 25th, a day later, the United States announces 8,500 troops on high alert for possible deployment to Eastern Europe. Now, U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said that they issued a prepare to deploy orders at direction of President Biden, but there was no actual final decision to like deploy the troops, like just kind of like be prepared. Like we're not deploying you, but be prepared. We could. Yeah, just like be on standby, y'all. Just like one foot in the ship, one foot on dock kind of mm-hmm. kind of vibes. And then while this is going on, Russia's launching a new mil or he Russia was launching a new military drill <clears throat> near Ukraine in Annex Crimea, where they launched drills in, involving six thousand troops in the south and in the Crimean Peninsula. Obviously, they're probably like, it's just a coincidence. It has like nothing to do with the fact that we have like 100K soldiers on the borders and tensions are flaring. We're just doing a routine military drill. Mm -hmm. And then the the little, the part that we've all been waiting for on January 27th, the U.S. and NATO send a written response to Russia's demands. So here we are, we are seeing that Sergei Lavrov, he stated that they did not receive a quote, positive response, end quote, from the U.S. or NATO, but there still may be room for more discussion of other questions. In the written responses submitted to Moscow, the U.S. and NATO rejected Russia's demands to block Ukraine from NATO, repeating their commitment to NATO's open-door membership policy. And that is when we saw U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg stated while they had rejected Russia's Ukraine demands, they outlined a diplomatic pathways out of the current crisis with several areas for increased cooperations. And then they also indicated that their responses would be published soon. So they didn't have them that day, but they would be published soon. So Erica, there was also a very interesting update with Russia and Ukraine in Normandy. Do you wanna go a bit into that? Yeah, so Ukraine and Russia actually held talks in Paris alongside representatives from Germany and France under the like Normandy format. And the meeting was actually held to focus on humanitarian efforts and the possibility of formal talks on the status of Ukraine's Donbass region that's currently controlled by Russian-backed separatists, although Moscow denies any connection to these forces. Um, but so there, you know, that was the initial reason. And uh, the US and Europe have been like, publicly asserting that there is intelligence suggesting that Russia plans to escalate the conflict in Donbass to seize the greater share of Ukrainian territory. So remember, we were talking about that intelligence where they might be starting something to like give a reason for them to investigate and then, you know, start something more. They're thinking Donbass is like the place to be. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the talks were. And again, just like every other talk we seem to have kind of was the same thing, like so yeah, these talks, um, they lasted for about eight hours. And while they couldn't agree on much, they did all come to like one common ground, which was that like, despite all the differences and in interpretations, they agreed that like a ceasefire was to be maintained by all parties, which is kind of the same thing that everybody's been saying this entire time. So, mm-hmm. which is like, Russia's like, I'm not going to invade. We don't want to invade. And then the United States is like, okay, well, you need to back down. And Russia's like, well, I'm not going to back down until you do these demands. <laughs> So basically just the same thing of like, no, they're just agreeing to a ceasefire, which I feel like there's been a lot of ceasefires agreements that haven't been upheld. So mm-hmm. yeah. And could. actually, I mean, like in like international relations too, like you'll see some people almost advocate for no ceasefires, just because when you do advocate for a ceasefire and a ceasefire ends up happening, what happens is a lot of the times those countries can go back and they can start like 
okay, we have soldiers that are injured, we need to get them prepped, we need to get them ready. They end up becoming, you know, better, they've healed, they're, they've had enough time to re-strategize. So ceasefires don't always produce the best outcomes. A lot of times you have to almost have this keep going for them to realize, hey, like this is not going to work out. So that's why you'll see some scholars and some experts really advocate against a ceasefire just so it, you can't have that happen. Yeah, and you know, in response to the talks, actually, US Deputy, US Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman stated that, quote, we certainly see every indication that Russian President Vladimir Putin will use military force sometime perhaps between now and the middle of February. So all of their intelligence is saying that, mm, could be now, could be Valentine's Day, we don't know, but, um, mm -hmm. so they're kind of like, I think that the United States definitely is like, is this ceasefire? really true or is Ukraine or is Russia just again trying to placate us until they get their demands exactly met? exactly because I mean they're not going to like announce it like I mean I'm not saying like anything they're not just going to come out and like just yeah. say a very bold and upfront like that they're gonna they're not going to say the quiet part they're, they're gonna keep... like of course you have to deny it like yeah exactly but um and then so the next day after that January 28th President, French President Macron reaffirmed solidarity with Ukraine on a phone call with President Zelensky and Putin, with all of them agreeing on the need to de-escalate the situation. So literally repeating, rinse and repeat of the same talks that they had the day before. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that's pretty, that was two days ago. We're recording today on the 30th. That was two days ago. So it is yeah. hot and fresh off the news feed for you guys. Well, yeah, because and then we also just see as like the last minute update from yesterday that Russia has been moving blood supplies near Ukraine. So usually when this ever happens, this is never a good thing. When you start seeing blood get moved around, they're not doing that just for fun. They're not doing that because it's, oh, this is part of those military drills. Like, no, you would have just moved in sandbags at that point or something like you're not going to move blood a valuable resource to an area that is potentially about to become a conflict zone so that is I think that's the most worrisome piece of all of this so far because once you see that there's kind of no going back because that's a lot of money that's a lot of logistics that's a lot of shipping things that's that that's a big cost to incur of starting to move blood supplies so once that happens, you're not necessarily going to go back from that because you've just kind of committed yourself to there's going to be a conflict, which I think that that is the most pressing point of information. And that just came out yesterday from a source from Reuters that we're seeing. And I don't know, at this point, I'm convinced that there is likely to be an incident at this point. It's so wild because like I'm reading this and I'm like, like, this is just my own personal opinion based on the information that we're talking about. But like, I'm reading this and I'm like, we could like literally be in the next World War III or we'll make it through with the negotiation talks. And then this all just be like, oh, remember that one time like Russia was like acting up a bit? Yeah. Like it's so like contrast, like zero to a hundred. Like we're watching this in real time as this like comes out and I, everybody has their eyes. I don't know if we've or conveyed that enough to you guys, but like literally the world kind of almost like stopping still watching this unfold waiting mm -hmm. for either Russia to, because once Russia crosses that line, literally that border, we're, but then they call us to be like, huh, we were just kidding though, actually. We'll find another way to get our demands. Mm -hmm. But it's also just kind of like, well, like I understand that fear and it's totally 
valid. We've also seen Russia go and annex Crimea and nothing was done about it. So that's kind of where it's like, is something gonna happen or are we just kind of gonna let Russia do what it wants with Ukraine? It's not a NATO member. We don't have a formal security alliance with it. So I don't know, that's where it kind of gets dicey of what exactly the US response is going to be, which strategic ambiguity, it would lend itself to having that here because then Russia doesn't know for sure what the US is gonna do. So that could mitigate something or it could further something with a conflict. So. It's well, I think the, one of the things that uh, the conflict tracker actually said was like, and, you know, Biden's reaffirmed it, NATO's reaffirmed it, is the fact that the ball is in Putin's court. So mm-hmm. we're kind of at a standstill. And he actually kind of has the upper advantage in this case because it's all dependent on what he does. Yeah. Like, because he's just amassing like troops and he's just like, it's like a rom-com. Will they? Won't they? Like, ha ha ha. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of just all waiting on Russia. And that's where like... I'm sure we have some advantageous aspects in other parts of this conflict, but right now we're really just waiting on Putin and he kind of has all the power. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, what's what's the real kicker of the situation. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. We'll have to wait and see if there actually is a conflict or not, but <laughs> there was just so much that happened. We do feel like it warranted an episode and we really wanted to give you guys an update on it, especially since it is at the top of everybody's news feed lately. We figured this is one of those times of where, hey, yeah, we just kind of talked about it, but we really do think that y'all need an episode on it because it is a top thing. Everybody's talking about it. So we want everybody to be informed from various sources of what's going on with this. And you need to hear how Model UN is exactly like real life <laughs> politics. Yes. You all needed to hear that. Yes. I, like I said, a whole, uh, uh, been to Model UN things. Now I've been to Army War College exercise scenarios. So yeah, it. I can confirm <laughs> this sounds exactly like those all did. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. That's to say the least. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Hunter, to talk about this update on the Ukraine and Russia conflict. Please listen to the first episode of this if you haven't already. And once you finish this episode, please comment on our Instagram post, Flatty Daddy, with a heart <laughs> emoji. <laughs> I, would I, I, Hunter would die. I would die. I would die laughing. That would be so funny. Follow back everybody who comments Flatty Daddy. Yes. <laughs> So with that, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We hope that you learned a little bit more and we hope that you are keeping up to date with the situation. If not on your own research, then you are here now. So you've caught up with our research. So thank you all so much for tuning in and we will see you guys on Thursday for a episode of our Keep It BRI segment. Bye. Bye.